The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Permissible Suffocations, an email series that is focusing on the sufferings of Job and maybe how and what that has to do with our own lives. Hi, my name is Dr. Finney and I'm going to be your reader today. And today we're going to be talking about the topic of pedestal kickers. That's the cutesy little way of me labeling this particular email because that is exactly what Job's friends are going to be attempting to do over the next few chapters in the book of Job. One of the many burdens that I carry as a discipler and counselor is the repulsive act of people putting me on a pedestal. Even though I warn and teach counselees and students that the one who puts you on the pedestal is usually the one who knocks you off. Well, it happens all the time. It is what I call a covert confession of idolatry and usury. God has to consistently remind me that most of the humans that walk about, including me, are little vapors with picket signs protesting and asserting themselves as God, thinking that they have the God-like prerogative of deciding who should be their God, when in reality they have no choice in the realm of the Godhead. It appears that this scenario unfolding between Job and his friends is exactly that. Now the first counselor opens his mouth. Eliphaz dares to even speak, fearing that Job will become impatient, but the scripture shows us he must. He starts reminding Job how many people he himself has counseled and helped. Next he says to Job, quote-unquote, But now it has come to you, and you are impatient, and it touches you, and you are dismayed. Job 4, 5. Who does he think he is? God? This technique is a commonly used technique when a man of God is down. It is similar to when the Pharisees said, Great physician, heal thyself. Yeah, that's what they said to Jesus in Luke 4, 23. Eliphaz is basically telling Job to practice what he preaches. How rude. Who is really lacking the compassion here? This counselor is building a case throughout this chapter that Job's sufferings are a direct result of God's anger toward him because of either falling into sin or sinking under the calamity and trial that he suffers. He even tells Job that his strength, confidence, and integrity come from his fear of God. That's not good counsel. Job's confidence and integrity did not come from this, his actions of fear, but rather in him knowing that God is God and he can do anything and will do anything he pleases. Job was in the habit of believing that God, that if God said something, he must complete it, and it must be true. Furthermore, who, who, was, uh, really, who is really able to question God anyway? Certainly not Job, and Job understood that. Was he perfect in this? Mm, probably not. 
We find later when he has a open dialogue with God that Job suffers with asking questions that shouldn't be asked. That is what we're going to be probing in our series. Eliphaz's speech is eloquent and rudy, but nonetheless off base. I'm assuming that Eliphaz was doing the best job he knew how, but it is circumstantial or extremely uh, externally focused at best. He isn't really striking at the core of what is going on with Job. I have heard sermons preached on this man's words like they were dainty morsels from heaven. They certainly make good sermon notes for the lukewarm church but not for a preacher who really wants to get to the heart of the reason for all of Job's sufferings. Eliphaz put the emphasis on that if man is confident in God, God would heal him of his sufferings, and Job would be able to go to his grave with much vigor. So let's listen to this passage very carefully. Job 5, 19-27 For six troubles he will deliver you. Even the seventh evil will not touch you. In famine he will redeem you from death and in war from the power of the sword. You will be hidden from the scourge of the tongue and you will not be afraid of violence when it comes. You will laugh at violence and famine and you will not be afraid of wild beasts. For you will be in league with these stones of the field and the beast of the field will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure, for you will visit your abode and fear no loss. You will know also that your descendants will be many, and your offspring as the grass of the earth. You will come to the grave in full vigor, like the stacking of grain in its season. Behold this, we have investigated it, and so it is. Hear it and know for yourself. Now, did Eliphaz not listen to Job's story? Did he not see how this unfolded on Job? Or in his ignorance, preaching words of worldly fables? He had the rigidity to proclaim that Job should have been able to stay vigorous under any circumstance evil placed upon him. Job wasn't afraid of the scourge of the tongue, of violence, of evil evil men, or even the evil one. His story had already proven that. Eliphaz really expected Job to laugh in the face of calamity and not be afraid of wild beasts. Laughing in the face of calamity would be laughing in the face of the one who granted permission for the calamity. Job had more sense than that. He knew that he was dealing with the hand of God. Job's first counselor was obviously under the belief that the negative experiences are evil. Eliphaz thought if Job was experiencing calamity, he was sinning. And if Job could hear it and know it for himself... He would be freed from such adversity. Job most likely was exasperated when he said, Oh, that my grief were actually weighed and laid in the balances together with my calamity. Well, he obviously begged, or was begging for someone to carefully weigh his pain and suffering. 
Joe quickly turns the focus right back to where it should be. Quote, unquote, For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. Their poison, my spirit drink, the terrors of God are arrayed against me. Job 6.4 Is God against him? Is Job suffering from some self-pity here? Not really. Job knows all things come by the permissible hand of the Almighty. He is certainly having a difficult time understanding why God is doing what he's doing, but he continues to put the focus in the right arena. This is a God thing, not a Job thing. Figuring out the why is what is going to get Job into trouble with the Lord. We learn that later on in further chapters. Job, at this point in his writings, is in a desperate need, has a desperate need of figuring out the why. By no means is he not rejoicing in his pain, nor is he denying the words of God. Here's what Job 6.10 says. But it is still my consolation, and I rejoice in unsparing pain, that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Very significant statement, if you ask me. Job is so careful not to curse God in his words or his conclusions. He is a great wonder. He is in great wonder as to why he should be waiting for the answer to his cry. He wants to know the end reason for his waiting so he can endure it with confidence. It is certain that he has a small confidence problem, but not the kind that accuses the mind of the Lord. As for his friends, he asks, quote-unquote, for the despairing man there should be kindness from his hand, so that he does not forsake the fear of the Almighty. Job 6.14 Job is not getting a lot of compassion from Eliphaz here, which is the first friend we're addressing. He even goes so far as to say, My brothers have acted deceitfully like a, like a brook, like a torrent of waves, brooks, water, flowing, which vanish, which are, tur- which are turbine because of ice and into which the snow melts. In other words, here today, gone tomorrow. They are not providing him with any proper counsel which would empower him to keep up the good fight. The truth of the matter is, these friends, and I put these friends in quotes, came confounded and perplexed. They have no clue how to comfort their brother. These friends see the terror striking the life of Job. They too are afraid. In fact, Job says this in Job 6.21, You see a terror and are afraid. Job really doesn't want anything from these men, outside of a little empathy and comfort. He isn't even asking for them to deliver him from the hand of the adversity or redeem him from the hand of the tyrants. What Job is humbles himself by saying, Teach me and I will be silent and show me how I have erred. How painful are honest words. But what does your argument prove? Job 6, 24 and 25. He even goes so far as to ask them how 
Now please look at me and see if I lie to your face. Job 6.28 Since they are incapable of offering such solace, Job's discomfort deepens. Due to this, Job asks his friends to desist now. Let there be no injustice. Even desist. My righteousness is yet in it. Job 6.29 Though all of this, through all of this, Job is still about his wits. There is no injustice on his tongue, and he continues to be able to discern calamity. This is our reading for today, and again it was titled, The Pedestal Kickers. We have so much more to cover in regard to uh, Job's suffering at the hands of his friends, and we really want to encourage you to continue to read our emails, or if you would prefer to listen to these emails, please log on to our website and uh, click on the appropriate icon to take you to the archives where most of these emails are stored in audio form. So again, thank you for joining us today, and we will look forward to our next email. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.